You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. The secret to healthy plants is healthy soil. And the secret to healthy soil is healthy compost. But what is healthy compost and how do we make it? In this episode, Mark Valencia from Self Sufficient Me is back to give you the knowledge you need to create black gold out of both vegetable and animal so-called waste. G'day, Mark. Welcome back to the show, mate. Yeah, yeah no worries, Daniel. No, uh, <laughs> love a chat. Too easy. So can we start this episode by asking you, what is compost? Well, compost is pretty much the, well, you could say it's the the end result of breaking down or decaying matter that you can put back into the garden primarily. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about composting down, turning sort of any, anything really, it can be any type of organic matter into a humus that can be then spread around plants or dug into the soil and then plants or seedlings or seeds sown directly into that. But it's just a breaking down of organic matter. So it's basically just dead things. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can mix it up, of course, with inorganic matter like rocks and rock dust and those types of things. And it can, if you're composting it down into a, in, on a certain place where it's straight, maybe it's onto straight soil, well, you might get a mixture of inorganic matter in that. But essentially it is organic matter that's broken down. And I've composted pretty much just about everything from dead animals to, you know, bits of leftover meats right through to the standard of what people think is composting, which is garden scraps, like just uh, trimmings and leaves. Leaves is probably one of the biggest ones where you can have a, a really good composted material just simply through fallen leaves, like, you know, many, many do in colder climates when you've got a lot of leaf fall. Right. So why should we even bother collecting some of those dead things around the house, maybe our garden scraps and stuff like that, veggie scraps? Like why should we bother collecting them and putting them into the compost as opposed to just chucking them in the general waste? Well, because they're really valuable things. We've learnt just by watching nature and, of course, experimenting ourselves in the garden over you know thousands of years as humans that broken down material like this is full of nutrients that plants love to eat and in nature they do this really well by encouraging animals to come around and feed on on fruits that they that that plants create so that they can then propagate themselves and spread themselves and it's the same way with leaves falling below a tree that's then getting broken down by microbes and smaller animals and it's creating its own food. Even a tree that's full of fruit that doesn't get eaten by the animals, it's a natural um, thing that it falls underneath that tree and then breaks down and, and composts into the ground and then turns into its own fertiliser. So it's the, the, you, you're better off, if you can, 
grabbing all these substances around your place that might otherwise go to waste or compost down in an area that might not be valuable, say in a, a, a vacant part of the yard, and you're better off scraping them all together, composting them down into a concentrated area and then moving that to where you would like, like into the veggie garden or around a fruit tree or anywhere where it could be useful so that that could turn into plant food and, you know, create a great environment also for microbes and friendly fungi and friendly uh, animals like worms and those types of things that also work to have a symbiotic relationship with your food crops. Right. So let's just say I'm a gardener. I have a garden out back and I'm going to throw all of my waste, my green waste, into the bin or, you know, I'm raking the leaves out of the garden and I'm putting it into the green bin for the for the truck to come and take away. Yeah. And then I'm going to go out and buy compost and I'm going to go and <laughs> buy fertilizers. Yeah. Well, look, th- there's nothing wrong with buying compost and fertilizers. I mean, you find that the the more or the larger your food garden or whatever ornamental garden gets, the more of these materials you really need. So sometimes you might have run out of compost or you might have, you might need to buy these types of materials, uh, like mulch, for example, which mm. turns into compost or compost down in, in your veggie garden or around trees. You might have to buy these things, but why would you? get rid of your green waste, especially into a truck that has to come around, use fuel and resources <laughs> to pick it up, take it to a refuse place, get processed. I mean, even if they are turning it into compost, which a lot of councils do, they, they tend to put all the green waste in one area and compost it down and then the public can, can come and either buy it or often like our refuse has it for free. You can come and pick it up yourself. but yeah, why go through that whole rigmarole and process of wasting resources when you could just throw it in a pile as its simplest form, just in a pile and leave it break down or have that bin that you put it in, convert that or have something similar and throw it all into a concentrated bin and then let worms and nature do its thing and over a a few weeks, maybe a few months, you'll have a really beautiful composted down material that you can use back into the garden. It's as simple as that. And it's so rich and and valuable, really. You're not getting that type of stuff often from the shops. You're getting a very sterile, you know, you're getting a sterile, expensive product wrapped in plastic from the the, the shop or the or the nursery where where your product isn't sterile. It's full of good microbes and the beginnings of fungi and those types of things that can help your plants as well. And it's not just the nutrients. Uh, So you're producing a better product if you do it at home and even if you do it half as good. Great point. And you know what's going into it. I'm actually a maintenance gardener by trade. So I'm one of the people who bring all of that green waste to the depots, to the council depots or to your refuse centre. And I mean, every time I'm there, there's always plastic pots in the mix. There's always all sorts of stuff. And I know that a lot of people put a lot of effort into trying to remove as much of the contaminant out as you can. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be some chemical sprays in those plants. And you really have no control over what goes into your garden, as opposed to when you create your own compost, you can actually control what goes into it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I I have sampled quite a lot of 
the uh, the stuff from the refuse from our local here. And yeah, it is it is okay, uh, and it is hot composted in really big piles, so it mm. does have a type of sterilization element to it. But it is a little dodgy because I've noticed a lot of plastics and twine and goodness knows what else could be in there. Like you said, there could be herbicides in there still that shouldn't be that have just been, you know, from trees that have been sprayed or, or glyphosate used on them. So whilst I do encourage people, you know, to even use those resources from the council if they don't have their own, it's that you do have to be a little careful with it and make sure, well, you can't really make sure, but hopefully trust your local refuse to compost it well and and maybe sift through it as best you can before you go putting it into the garden and if there's any chance that it could be contaminated with you know disease or not hot composted down enough well then don't use it i've got a good example not from compost but from horse manure that i was purchasing locally here i purchased some once and I put it around some plants and I noticed after about four weeks the plants, this is in the veggie garden, the plants started getting, they looked, they, they were getting a discoloration and a wilting of the, the top of the leaves that start off the top and then eventually most of the plants died or they, they, they got very stunted. I think this was eggplant and capsicums, I can't remember exactly, but I, I worked out that it was most likely, if I'd done, I'd done a bit of research on it and I, I had an inkling anyway, but it was most likely feed that the horses ate that had glyphosate in it that had gone through their system into the manure. And, yeah, needless to say, I never went back there again to get my manure, even mm. though I really do like bartering and, and, and mixing with the locals and community-type stuff. And it's just put me off getting it from that particular place because it was essentially contaminated for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that that bartering idea is really interesting. Let's say I don't have a gardener, I'm not a gardener, and I still have green waste, but I know a gardener. Why don't I just collect that green waste for that gardener? I mean, that's such a nice thing to do for somebody is to give them compost. Yeah, especially if you know them and you know, and you can get that trust going and it's uh, swapping things like, you don't have to do it immediately, but you, you know you don't even have to ask for it. Really, it's sort of a neighbourly thing. You just say, "Hey, do you want this compost?" Or you ask for it. You see your neighbour throwing out some green waste. Would I be able to have that? Mulch it down, use it. Yeah, no worries. You know, because it was only going to go into the rubbish anyway. And in exchange, you can say, "Hey, I grew some tomatoes. Would you like some of them?" And and you 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 you've, uh, you're not only helping each other out, but you also know where. That's come from because you can ask the neighbour, what did you do? Where'd you get that green waste from? Oh, I cut it down the back from a hedge. There's no, I don't use poisons or glyphosate or anything like that. So you know, you know just as well from your own yard where that's come from. And that person getting the tomatoes off you can trust that you've used no pesticides and that you're an organic gardener. And it's a, uh, it's a really good thing besides feeling good and, and a good community operation. You mentioned earlier on the term humus, and I just wanted to touch mm. on that quickly before we moved on, because compost is more than just nutrients. It's actually a soil conditioner as well. And we did an episode at episode 40 about soil carbon. Can you just briefly touch on what humus means? 
Well, it's just the end process of composting down organic materials. So it's just that black type of material, really, that's, uh, that's, that's the end of composting down. And that's full of all types of nutrients. And if it's composted down in, well, and no matter where, even if it's in a plastic drum that hasn't got access to the ground, you're going to have all sorts of little animals and, and mm-hmm. worms and bacteria and those types of things and the development of fungal in there that, that can help your plants when you put, when you put that down. So it's not just that the plant has food. It has a fungi or an animal that, that breaks down those materials further that also enables that plant then to be able to absorb those nutrients and those minerals when it wouldn't have otherwise been able to because of that symbiotic relationship. Mm. And it can also help amend both sandy soil and clay soil. It's sort of a the world's best soil conditioner is organic carbon. Yeah, it's a great point, Daniel. That's exactly right. The It's an amazing addition or soil supplement that can fix or help fix really sandy soils by giving it structure and enable water, water holding qualities so that not only holds water so that the plant gets longer to have a drink, especially in dry conditions, but it also holds nutrients. And in clay soil, it can help to break up those very, those very tight molecules that hold that, that sticky soil together. And it can break up those molecules a bit like gypsum can to then make that soil more aerated and oxygenated so that the roots don't die of basically drowning. Hmm. Yeah, and that can happen quite easily with clay. Yeah. I want to now move on to basically how to compost. Let's start with the difference between hot composting and cold composting. Yeah, well, hot composting, you you want an enclosure. So you could use a barrel or a drum. There's many types of things. You can have a tumbling barrel that's off the ground. You can have a plastic drum that has an opening at the base and an opening at the top when you throw everything in and you fill it up basically in one go. And then you are, you, that then generates heat, especially if it's in the open or in the sun or in a hot climate. But regardless, it will generate heat as it breaks down because that's natural. And if it's enclosed, that accentuates that heat. Mm. So you want, you want as much volume as possible. You can do the same thing like the council does or like you do at home. If you mulch up a whole lot of wood chip, for example, and you have a pile that's six foot high that will start smouldering from the base of that pile uh, and you'll see it smoke and it, it's, it, it's even possible that it could combust in certain instances. Usually I've never seen that happen at our place, but we've had plenty of big smouldering piles that I've just mm. left. And when you leave them for several months, they eventually stop smouldering and in the middle is like around the outside, it wears down and slowly composts down. But in the middle, it's uh, really rich and broken down and there's pretty much nothing alive in there. It's, uh, it's kind of sterilised itself and broken down rather quickly uh, into mm. that, that beautiful you know, material. But you know, there's, so there's a benefit of that. It can break down faster if you're hot composting. 
and you can also get rid of any pathogens and any problems that might be, or even pests that might be associated or in the original mix. So they can't live within that temperature. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it, it can even compost out or the bugs, the ones that can stand those temperatures, bacteria and those types of things can even eat up things like pesticides and, and, mm. and contaminants like oils. So there's, it's quite a powerful process, breaking down and composting, hot composting like that. And then you've got the cold composting, which is more leaving it in an open pile or it can be in, you know, like uh, like several rows of, of, say, pallets. You've seen that's a very common way of most of us, and I've got the same system here, where you have a fairly open type of, of large area where you throw your green waste in, and that slowly breaks down. It might be fairly warm underneath, but it's not a big pile that's contained and generating heat. It's more cold composting where it takes a lot longer and it can take 12 months or so for that process to slowly break down. And what I find is that you get a different type of product. You get a more richer, darker, more volcanic type right. soil mix in a way that's I think is better, but it takes mm. a lot longer to do uh, because I think it just gives it more time for worms and those other types of microbes and those composting bugs, the mealyworms and all that, that go in there and slowly break and eat it away and turn it into uh, just a bit of a different mix, uh, richer mix in my view. But yes, it takes longer. See, that makes a lot of sense to me, Mark, because mm. it seems like if you're doing it the slow, cold composting way, that those organisms are going to be able to stick around because that's the temperature that they want to live in in your garden. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, exactly, Daniel. It's more replicating what you've already got. And if you're mm. composting in those types of bays that has act, that's pretty much close to the garden usually anyway, it's, it's just a natural extension of your garden. And you so see a lot of those worms are migrating to that spot. They're just feeding and they're u- using that 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 material they're breaking it down for you yes you do turn it so if you don't turn it into the second bay or something like that you're going to have everything underneath for the first Mm -hmm. foot composted and just sitting there and nothing on top composting down so you do have to turn it over so it's a little bit more uh, and i guess you have to turn over hot composting too and they do that in bulk in with big machinery at the council tip but at home, you, you have to yeah go through the process of, you know maybe getting in a small a small little dozer or something in into your garden or a little one of those pickup things, or you just do what I've done and and you get a pitchfork out and you mm. you spend several hours upturning the pile if you wanted to. I generally don't. What I usually do with hot composting if I've got a really big pile, I dig out the middle when it's done. And I get all the good stuff and I put that into where I want specifically like the veggie garden around trees that I want extra food and, and that type of thing. And I use it sparingly. And then the rest of the stuff I will just uh, use as a top dressing, like a mulch into the garden and let ah. that break down naturally rather than going through that process of digging out all the guts of it and then hot composting the rest of it down. So I've got this pile 
of compost. But but the the cold composting way, I, I it suits me down to the ground because I'm a bit of a lazy gardener. <laughs> and it really does. And, and I just leave it sit there for months and months. And when you go to dig that out, my goodness, it is good stuff. Yeah, it is bloody good stuff. Now, you mentioned the pitchfork there. That's probably the easiest way for a lot of people to use it because a lot of gardeners do already have a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this little tool that you can buy from Bunnings or wherever, and I'm not sure quite how to explain it. I guess it's like a, a twisty handle, and with it, it has like a spiral thing down the bottom, and as you turn it in your hands, that spiral twists its way into the compost, and as you continue turning, it'll turn the compost around and it'll sort of mix it like a blender. I guess it'll suck it down, push the outsides back up again, up to the top, and then create a, a vortex like that. And then you can twist your way back out of it once you've finished. And I found that tool quite handy, actually. Yeah, well, the compost aerator. And ah. the, yeah, that and, and that, yeah, it's more a stir or a mixer. Really, you want to get that if you're doing – you. Yeah. You don't want a big stinky pile of rotting material. You want a a nice smelling composting material. If it's Mm. too wet and stinky, it means it's anaerobic and it's down the bottom of the pile getting into a smelly wet mess. And by aerating it like you had just explained, you can then get some air flowing through that, dry it out a little bit, and it's a better environment for the types of things that you want in there, like those worms and mealybugs that do like a a more forgiving environment than, say, a wet anaerobic environment where you've got certain fermenting bacteria. You're always going to have a mix of those things, and it's probably best to have a mix rather than one type, I guess. One, if you've got too many, if it's just too light, well, then it's going to take forever to break down. And if it's too wet, well, you're going to get a fermented, stinky mess that mightn't be very attractive, especially if it's near the home or the veggie garden, and it might not get very good results. But, yeah, it eventually will break down, you know, though. Mm, Well, I guess otherwise the whole world would be covered in dry leaves. That (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I guess, you know, we can tell the health of our compost by the smell and just that's probably a pretty good idea if it smells really sour or bad, as you said, that's probably anaerobic. Yeah. I think from where I'm standing, it seems like there are four things that compost needs. It needs moisture and air. So those two are always in balance, as you said. Mm -hmm. And then we also need green material and brown material. Can you explain what green material and brown material means for us? Well, you just, you could think of it as dry material and wet material as well. So like dry leaves would be your brown material and, say, green leaves that you've just chopped down from a tree or grass, that grass clippings is another good one. Uh, They will add extra water because the water is still in there and that will be, that's that's your moisture side of things. I've never personally, I mean, besides rainfall, which is just, you can't avoid that, and which is good too, by the way, on a compost pile, but I've never really had to go in there with a hose and wet the compost pile down to get it to get it sort of motivated to to break down. I've, it's just never been necessary for me. But if you do find that your compost pile is just not moving and it's just way too dry, 
well then yeah adding some grass clippings or greenery green stuff that you've fresh stuff that you've just got uh, maybe even a little bit of manure a bit of green cow manure fresh manures horse manures those types of things can also get that extra moisture into a pile and activate those microbes bacterias that will help break down that pile a lot faster and likewise if you find it's just one stinky yucky wet mess there and it's been like that for a long time like several weeks and you and it's smelly and you can't just shift it well then get and add the brown in there add lots of dry stuff even mulch even if you have to buy it just I add it in there dig it in there but I would use just dry leaves anything dry around the place and mix that in you know, even dry manures too, if you have that just sitting out. And that will help uh, fix that pile in a way that then might make it as messy and stinky. Because, you know, you can get leaching out and if it's way too wet, it can run out and get into places. It just depends on where your compost pile is, of course. And if it's too far away from from your garden or your place, well, then it's harder to maintain as and it's less motivating to go and get your compost and use it or add to it because it's out of the way. So most people keep their compost piles fairly near the garden. And if it's way too stinky and yucky, well, then it's going to be a problem because it's attracting vermin. It's, it's, it stinks. So we don't like that. So that's how you have to fix it with a bit of brown. Mm, get a bit more air in there and a bit of moisture out. Yeah. But I want to say, don't get too technical on it, though. Like, hmm. don't don't sit there hovering over your compost pile every day, worrying that it's not dry enough or it's too wet. Really, leave the thing and just let it do its own thing. Only if it's really stinky and a mess, or if it's really dry and going nowhere, then attend to it. But just follow your your just natural common sense and judgment, and you'll find that you'll be the perfect and best composter ever. It's really not rocket science. No, nature's been doing it for quite a while now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, no, um, I say that because there is a – you have a look online, Daniel, you'll see that there's people, they get obsessed with it and they get flustered over their compost. There's no need to. Right, so it's really easy. So I wanted to bring up another brown material, which is cardboard. Now, you've got to be careful with cardboard because it often has plastic sticky tape or it might be covered in wax. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have. I have got some broken down cardboard and there's been plastic in it. And then I've had to pick out all the plastic, <laughs> which has been real. took me ages. And <laughs> Especially in a big pile. Yeah, yeah, and no, and I, what I did is I sifted it, and right. bit by bit before I used it, and it drove me crazy. Um, so I'll <laughs> never do that again. I can imagine. Was, yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I mean, definitely just use raw cardboard. I guess the wax should probably break down. Okay, and that should be fine. Hopefully, most cardboard nowadays isn't treated with anything just like most ink is supposed to be friendly and mm. organic and not, and not poisonous because, you know, uh, we found out that that wasn't good, particularly <laughs> for people who, or children or 
and that using biros and that who suck on one and we don't mm. want poisonous inks. But yeah, but uh, so a bit of ink and, and colors and that on some shredded paper is not going to hurt. But yeah, plastic, that's going to take forever to break down and it's not very nice and it looks awful too, yeah. just quietly <laughs> in the garden. Yeah, a bit of plastic sticky tape sticking out. Doesn't look really <laughs> It's not uh, the organic appealing. look. <laughs> no, no, it's not organic. Yeah, yeah, it's not a great look. And I can tell you with, with me with my YouTube filming, I did, the, I did do a composting video once that I had shredded paper in it and I had shredded some some inadvertently some plastic that was coating that paper. And when I was looking through some of the shots, I spied some of the plastic bits coming through that I was using <laughs> for potting up some plants and it just looked awful. Mm. And that went on the cutting floor, I tell you, and then I fixed <laughs> it up. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the containers. So I guess we have a whole lot of different options when we're talking about containers. Yeah, yeah. You can go from composting into a pile just in the open right through to expensive thousands of dollars composting tumblers that uh, can compost down pretty much anything, including all meats, meats and bones even, but they are a lot of money and Mm. I don't have one of them. I've got a small cheap tumbler that does a decent job, but I have considered getting one of those big tumblers that are very pricey and they're insulated and they hop compost and you keep turning them and they uh, they do a great job, I believe. I just haven't been bothered uh, mm-hmm. getting an expensive one because I just think that my base system or just a normal tub system, you know, or even just a square crate system, meter by meter, is is suffice. So really, if you're using the slow composting method, it's just somewhere to keep it all together. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think a base system works good. It doesn't have to be a big base system like pallets like I've got. It can be just, well, I first started out, I made it up out of some iron sheets. I just had three little bays, just enough to for the width of a small wheelbarrow to get in and out. And they might have been a metre and a half long. And, yeah, I just had three bays so that you've got one bay that you stack up with everything initially and then you let that compost down for a few months. And then you you turn, you just pluck off the top of that, throw it into your second bay, and then you heap on all that composted material down the base, Mm. all on top of that in your second bay, and then you've sandwiched that down and then that compost down underneath, and then that turns it all into your composted material, and then you put that into your last bay, and that's your using bay that you use, and you just keep that process going like a like a chain. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Can you mention the brand of the cheap tumbler that you have? It's a maze. Maze. Okay, maze. Cool. Yeah, and yeah, it's not bad. I I think I even put it together wrong, but <laughs> because I I, I, I recall getting an email from Maze saying, "Ah, oh, I think you put it together slightly <laughs> wrong because the handle's on the wrong way or something," but it works. Works decent enough. and uh, But, yeah, you can use pretty much anything. Homemade devices, a homemade barrel. If you wanted to make your own type of barrel device, there are different ranges. There are some really cheap ones too. 
There are some very expensive ones. Mine's in the lower range, decent enough. Um, but but my grandfather and I still got his old plastic bin. You know, they got a UV treated bin with a lid on top, and it's got a big open base. It's probably about a meter tall and and probably forty about forty centimeters across the top, and then the base is probably fifty or sixty centimeters. So it's like a, a pyramid kind of thing, and you fill that up. And he used to just—he was very successful at making compost, and he loved his strawberries. So he he fed them heavily with this compost, and he had it actually sitting in his veggie garden, uh, surrounded by other plants. And he used to just throw all the scraps in it, and right up to the brim, whack the lid on top, and just leave it. And it'd all sink down within a few weeks. It'd actually get pretty warm in there and compost down pretty quick. Hmm. And uh, that's all he ever used, and I sometimes use that as well, just for a, a extra composting bit. So I've got a small tumbler, I've got that plastic bin, and I've got a three bay composting, large composting area where where it's made out of pallets that I've had for years. And then I've got this composting ring that I call it a chicken composting ring, and that's down in my my chicken area, and that. Is, is a plastic ring that's made from recycled soft plastics like paper, food wrappers and coffee cups. This is made by Plastic Forests. They're in Albury and they're a plastic recycling company. And they do a great job at making all sorts of different plastic products out of recycled plastic. But anyway, this is just a roll of plastic that's about a metre and a half wide and 40 centimetres high, and I just screwed that together to make a circle. And then I throw our kitchen scraps into that and the chickens pick through and they eat what they want and they leave what they don't. It's usually they probably leave things like the potato skins that they don't like eating and other things they don't like and things that are too hard to eat, and then they pick through and eat what they want. And then the rest just sits there and and naturally composts down. And when I scrape out the chicken poops from the pen or the extra mulch from the from the laying hens or their 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 used bedding, I just throw that into the composting ring as well. And over time, so about four or five months, it it all turns into this broken down chicken poop composted beautiful substance that I can then take back up and put into the garden. So I've got all these different types of composting methods that I use besides direct composting, which is another way that I love to do, and that's burying things in the garden and letting them break down. And I, the other day, about well, a week ago, I buried a snake in one of our garden beds that I don't know how it died. I think a kookaburra might have killed it. And it's, it was a tree snake about a metre long. I found him in the yard and I just uh, buried him in one of our veggie garden beds about 20, 20 centimetres or so down and he'll become plant food. Mm. So while we're on that subject, I just wanted to mention one thing and I, I want to give a disclaimer that animal products can you know, introduce 
all sorts of things. You know, vermin mm-hmm. can come and dig it up if you don't bury it deep enough. Uh, you've just said that you yeah. buried it 20 centimeters. I'm guessing that's probably deep enough. Yeah. But also, I just want to tell listeners, if you're going to play around with animal products, do you do so at your own risk? Because there are also diseases and stuff that can be introduced in. Now, Mark's been doing this for a while, so he actually has a pretty good idea of how to do it safely. Yeah. You mentioned also hot composting is a good way to break it down, but I probably wouldn't be chucking my meat and bones and you know cheese into my cold composting pile because that's going to be when the vermin and the pests and diseases are going to get into your yard and you might even get sick from that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's probably decent I reckon Daniel's probably a good way to put it. I'd be burying uh, animal products and that type of thing. I'd be burying them if you can deep in, in the garden or uh, under a fruit tree or somewhere like that. I I buried a kangaroo underneath that unfortunately wow. my wife my wife hit going to work early one morning it just uh, ran out in front of her mm-hmm. and that I, happens I, yeah it happens in australia especially and uh so i uh i went up and i i grabbed it off the road and uh buried it back here you know the garden underneath a banana tree turned into wonderful bananas but i buried it deep enough to make sure that it wasn't going to smell or attract wild animals but if you're in an environment where, say, you've got raccoons, for example, or bears in Canada or in America, well, then you might not be able to bury those types of things. Or if you've got a dog that loves digging things up, you might not be able to do that. In a raised garden bed, I was able to bury a snake or other things like chickens and ducks that have passed away. I can bury them in there because nothing really gets up that high. Our raised beds are mm. seven to 800 mill high and they're so they're not even a dog can jump up there which is pretty cool and we don't have bears or anything here so i can get away with that but you can still compost down proteins like cheeses and meats that you haven't used you can do them in those big tumblers that get a high heat and are meant for that there's no problems with that as long as it's not like a like a compost uh, tumbler full of rancid meats well then that's not going to be good huh. uh yeah it's not gonna no yeah not gonna be very nice <laughs> probably want some so, brown material in there exactly exactly <laughs> yes mix it with there are lots of brown material and other things and then you won't notice it and you you might just see a few bones left after the microbes and that have have taken care of it but yeah so be realistic with how you use it depending on your area and and what you're composting it in, yeah. Mm. And when I'm doing eggshells, when I'm putting eggshells into the compost, I give them a rinse out and I rinse out every single hemisphere so that there's none of that egg yolk are going to get into my compost and feed that bad bacteria or vermin and stuff like that. Fair enough, yeah. If that's what you want to do and you want to do that, go through your time doing that, yeah, um, I eat a lot of eggs too, my wife and yeah. I. So yeah. It's a bit of a process. There's like five yeah. eggs every morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, see, that's the thing though. It takes a bit of time and effort. It's easy, isn't it, for us to, it could be easy just to chuck things into the bin and let the council guy come pick it up in the truck, mm. take it away. It's easy for us to go to the shop and just buy what we want instead of growing it and and that but it's not as fun and it's not as, I don't reckon, as, as good either. I mean, growing your own food, making your own compost, knowing where it all comes from and, and being part of that process of recycling, uh, upcycling, uh, sustainability, 
I think is a, a good and uplifting thing if, if all, if that's all it is. But it's so much more than that. You know, doing your own bit for the planet one little bit at a time. It sounds a bit cliche, but it, it, it does. I think it is a good thing. Oh, mate, completely agree. It's for me, it's just a part of the process of gardening and it's part of the experience is, you know, composting down your waste and turning it into a resource again. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to wash out every eggshell, bloody <laughs> do it. I think it's, I think good on you. So what about other things that cannot go in the compost? So we've talked about plastics and we've talked about meat products going into cold composting piles. Is there anything else that we should avoid composting? Oh, yeah. Well, where do you go after, you know, I've just been talking about composting down snakes and kangaroos. <laughs> well, yeah, you should be careful, like like we were talking about earlier, about those types of things like glyphosate or chemicals that you suspect could be in in because you know if you if you get those things into your garden you can do some really bad damage great point you'll have to replace the soil once i this isn't really a contamination but it kind of is i'll give an example i was i i had some really heavy soil this is years ago about 10 years ago and my my son their 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 sand pit was fairly full and it was on the spur of the moment thing and I thought you know what I might just add a bit of sand to that bed and I'll just add a bit of sand to that bed and uh, I'll see if I can just thin that soil out a bit and get it a little bit more crumbly so that it wouldn't be so anaerobic so I put about half a barrel of this um, playground sand into the bed and then realised that I couldn't grow another thing in it. Oh, no. Nothing would grow in it. And what had happened is that sand was actually sea sand and it was full of salt. And it turned it so saline and so, I mean, so salty that nothing would grow in it, you know. And so what I had to do is dig all that out and uh, spread it around and then replace it with proper soil so I could grow things in that garden bed again. So it can do catastrophic damage, really, to a garden bed if you inadvertently contaminate it through something like chemicals or even, in that case, salt. So that's just an example of it. But as far as com- composting down things go, you could be there are some trees that, like, a, like some even eucalyptus, that are very, are very concentrated in some of their saps and, 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 and chemicals that are in the leaves. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, I still compost down eucalyptus and all that, but just be careful in composting them down in bulk and making them the majority of the mix because that can do a similar thing, just a natural, put a natural too much oil or, or natural sort of, it's like some eucalyptuses and pines have some, some things in them that, that inhibit other plants growing, some of those types of natural chemicals. So you might want to compost them down only in little bits with other things rather than in bulk. So you could be careful of certain trees uh, and certain plants, but on the whole, I compost pretty much everything. I see. 
And you mentioned there about the salt. That's why I'm careful not to put in like any of our broths and stuff like that. Like let's say I make a casserole or a soup. Yeah. I'll probably avoid putting that in the compost. I'll probably put that straight in the general waste bin because, yeah, I, we like it salty. So That's probably a good example, yeah. And I'm sure if you had a massive pile like you've got, it would just disappear, but we only have a small compost pile, so it probably would make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's, again, what we were saying before talking about volume mm. and where how how much and where you're doing it that that yeah adds to that example of if you've got a small composting area well then you need to be extra careful of of those types of things and if you've got a larger area well maybe you can add in some extra eucalyptus or a certain plant that has extra chemicals in its in its properties because you can water that down so mm. to speak with other things great point mm. So I like to have a compost caddy in my kitchen because I don't want to have to walk all the way out into the garden every single time I've got some waste. Yeah. What do you reckon about a compost caddy? Yeah. Oh, well, they're, they're real necessity, aren't they? They, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I like, you can get these fermenting beer fermenters. Uh, they're, they've got this really big lid on mm. the top. You know what I'm talking I about? I do the brewer kit. And, yeah, the brewer kit thing. Well, you can get, well, you can get a, a 20 and 30 litre ones, but I've got a, a 15 litre one and you've got that big lid. So it's not that big. It doesn't take up a lot of space, but it's got a sealing lid. You get one without the hole in the top and that lid then seals down and you can get quite a few kitchen scraps in it. We call it a slops hmm. bucket and without it smelling or anything like that. And then it's got a nice big handle so you can carry that down and throw it into the, the compost pile. We also have a little, like a, a small little bin that we use for our kitchen scraps that we want to give to the chickens and put down into our, our chicken composting area. And that, or we can just throw it into the pen, but nowadays we put it into our composting mm. chicken ring and we separate the sort of the things that chickens might like to eat from the other things and we throw the ones that the chickens may not want to eat often into the the standard composting pile that they don't have access to and other things that chickens might want to eat into the chicken composting ring. We don't always separate them out, but sometimes we do. But often the chickens will pick through what they want and what they don't want anyway and the other stuff will break down. Yeah, and look, it sounds like a lot of work if you're not actually a gardener and you're not actually into composting, but once you get into it, you start to realise that it's actually fun to separate all these things because you're taking control of the environment and you're taking control of your garden, and that's actually pretty fun. Yeah, and you are getting things for free. You're getting a really great fertiliser, a nutrient, uh, and also soil structure improver for free that that could cost, you know, Big bucks, really, if you're going to get as good a quality as homemade compost. You just can't mm. buy that stuff. You literally no, you can't. can't. So, so you really, it really isn't all in vain at all. Besides being, a, I think, a bit of fun and 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 good, good to do all over. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But you can. If you're worried about smell in the kitchen, you can get the carbon. Has yours got a carbon filter? No, I just, no, I take, well, my kitchen's my, I live in an apartment with a little courtyard, so it doesn't last too long. It's probably just one or two days that it'll sit in the caddy. Yeah. Well, if you can get ones with little carbon filters. That's pretty cool. And that, yeah, and then it won't smell Mm. either and that just, the lid just locks down. So there's plenty of options and 
the market now is getting very advanced, especially for people that live in high rises or apartments that want to go through the composting and get rid of their kitchen scraps in a responsible way in inverted commas. <laughs> you can do that through, you know, through these types of extra technologies. I just trialed a composter or a kitchen composter that breaks down and, and dehydrates your kitchen scraps into a mix. It does it in a few hours. It doesn't actually make compost, but it says it's a kitchen composter. But it, what it does is it, it, it takes all your kitchen scraps, no matter what it is, as long as it's not heavy, hard bones. And it'll, it'll, in a matter of two hours or so, it just turns it like a blender and it slowly dehydrates it, heats it up and turns it into like a powder kind of mix, depending on what you've composted or what you've put in it. And it can turn like, um, we've, we've put a, like a, a, a foot by foot square of, of greens and, compost and potato peels, banana peels and all that into this thing. It only doesn't hold that much mm -hmm. at once, but over a series of a day or so, and we've broken that, that foot by foot square into about a size of a, probably a litre jar. And that, that can then be added straight into your compost pile if you want or sprinkled around into your garden. And I've even used it for chicken feed, mm. a dry chicken feed. So, but they're, 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 these composting machines, they can get pretty expensive. And the one that I tested was about, was called a Nagal and it, it, it costs around $350. Mm. So, and it, and, and it can be a bit gimmicky, I guess, for some people, mm. but I've now got it in the garage and it's, uh, it's something that I use for, for dry chicken feed and, and that type of thing and breaking down extra kitchen scraps if I want to store them and keep them and then whack them out in the garden later. Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm in an apartment with a courtyard garden and I do grow bags and maybe that might be more handy for someone like me who has a small space because I can't imagine that yes. probably making a dent in the garden that you're working in. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, they asked me to trial yeah. it for them. I trialed it and I did a video. If people are interested in it, they can have a look. It's probably about four or five videos ago. But it's this what my point is there's lots of thought now and coming out, lots of sustainability products in this space. And people are bringing out composting gauges and, and apps to monitor your compost <laughs> pile. <laughs> I mean, I think God bless them, good on them. But there is really a lot of interest in sustainability and composting at the moment. So, uh, yeah, get online, have a Google and find out what you can store your compost in or what you can, what you can, what you can make compost with and all those types of tools that are, are out there now and available to us. Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. Have we missed anything that people who need to, that people who are looking to compost might need to know? No, I don't think so. I think I would just encourage everyone to, I mean, I'm sure we've missed things, <laughs> but yeah, but because it is such a, a big space, like I was saying, and it's more and more people getting involved in it and more people getting excited about it. There's going to be more ideas and ways to do this, but I would say don't discount it. Don't think like you were saying before, which is a great point about it uh, being too cumbersome to do get into it it's not really that bad and it can be 
really not just a sustainability thing, but just a nice thing to do can be quite a stress reliever to sort through some compost Mm. and know also that you're doing the right thing by yourself and the environment. You're saving a few bucks. You're making a really good nutritious thing for your garden. Uh, And it's like they say, black gold, and you're making it at home. Absolutely. Great point. It is black gold. And yeah, it's just a normal part of gardening. And I reckon that anyone who has a garden should be getting into it as long as you're throwing away scraps that are going to the general waste refuse center. I mean, like that's a resource and we should be using it or at least giving it to somebody who can use it. Yeah, for sure. So Mark, I always like to ask our guests at the end of each episode a question that doesn't have to be relevant to the topic we've been talking about. It can be about anything. Is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about? What have I been working on lately? Well, since we're talking about compost, you know, banana peels are full of potassium and lots of good garden goodies. Mm. Don't throw out your garden. Use your banana peels back into the garden, even straight, just straight buried in, Mm. and it'll be great for your plants. We just had a bunch of bananas and they all ripened at once. So I freeze-dried most of them. Um, they're like a freeze-dried banana lolly. And yeah. They're, they're just wonderful like that. But you can dehydrate them in a dehydrator. And, yeah, uh, so if you do come across a whole lot of banana peels like I've just done, you can you can dry the banana peels out and you can grind them up and use them like a fertiliser direct into the garden or you can just bury them as is. And but also chickens love them. But don't discount bananas. and. Uh, They are very nutritious to eat, but also your plants love them too. Mm, Great point. Mark, thanks so much for another great episode, mate. I hope that our listeners have learned a lot about composting and they might feel a little bit more confident to give it a go if they aren't already doing it themselves. Yeah, no worries, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be on your show as usual. Yeah, hopefully come back again one day. Yeah, we will. I'll definitely have you back on, mate. I'll have you back on as often as you want to come back on. Cool. Check the show notes or search Self-Sufficient Me on YouTube to see Mark's organic backyard veggie gardening videos. He's one of the best in the game. If you'd rather stay on the Plants Grow Here podcast, check out episode 41 titled Self-Sufficient Me, episode 78 Attracting Predator Insects to Control Garden Pests Naturally, or episode 95 Euclid Mythbusting. Please consider following the show on your favourite app and turn notifications on, because that way you won't miss out on new episodes just like this one.